Welcome to the Things We Don't Talk About podcast with Alison Mulligan and Mike Hartley. Hi, hi everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Things We Don't Talk About podcast. Um, I'm Mike Hartley, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Alison Mulligan. And today we are delighted and honoured to welcome Donna, I'm going to say his surname wrong, probably Sakar. That's right. Sarkar, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who, if, you, if you've not heard of her, she is, well, what isn't she? Um, speaker, if you've not heard of her, you author, must have been living under a rock, I think. Yeah, exactly. Speaker, author, developer, um, presenter, motivator, uh, voluntolder, um, <laughs> fashion designer, and just one of the most awesome human beings you can imagine. Um, and I came across Donna by complete accident because at Microsoft Ignite in London in January, I went to a session and Alison was there and I went predominantly to support Samit Saini, friend of ours because he was sharing his story and you stood up Donna and you just gave a very quick five minute sharing about dyslexia and dyspraxia and things like that and you threw a graphic up on the screen and I'll try and grab that from you so I can share it with people um, and you, you dropped the word neurodiversity and it hit me like a bombshell because I'd never heard the term. I, I must have hidden under a rock. I'd never heard the term. And I've got mental health issues. My brother's dyslexic. Um, we, my eldest son's dyslexic. We've suspected possibly some ASD stuff as well over the years. And the whole neurodiversity just explained so much and it really I found it quite releasing actually I found it really quite quite encouraging and it, it, it I literally came back from London and I was just like you've got to hear about this neurodiversity to my family and they were just like okay okay that's the last thing we expected to hear you coming <laughs> back from a Microsoft conference talking mm -hmm. about brain stuff mm -hmm. so it'd be awesome if you could just share with us what neurodiversity is, what it means, and just explain it to us, because I think it really is the foundation for a lot of what we're going to do in future episodes here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on here. I love the name, the things we don't talk about, because, you know, in tech, there's so many things we do talk about. JavaScript, C++, Power Apps, Power BI. But the things we don't talk about are the things that keep us from doing our best work. Um, and until we address those things we don't talk about, we're never going to be operating at our full capacity or contributing to this industry in the most healthy, fulfilling way possible. So I'm very happy to talk about this. Um, neurodiversity is something it, that we've only been talking about in the tech industry for a few years. So it's not surprising that you haven't heard about it. The way there's some complex psychological definition, which I am not. OK, so few caveats. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not an expert. I do not have depression. I don't have ADHD. I've I know a lot of people who have these things and I know a lot of people who live with them and cope 
and have lots of uh, dealing strategies. What I do have is dyslexia. And up until recently, I didn't actually know dyslexia was a neurodiversity. So even for me, who knew about the concept, knew about dyslexia, had no idea that they should be put together. So the way I define neurodiversity is brains that operate differently than what was tested in a lab in 1950. So, you know, in 1950, in those sketchy movies where they put those probes to your brain and they study and they're like, how do you respond to this picture of a snake? You know, or, or whatever, I don't know. Um, and brains operated in a certain way and people responded in a certain way. And scientists said, okay, this is typical brain. And anything outside the normal of the very small set that they sampled is considered to be divergent, meaning different. And it is not surprising that one in five people are neurodivergent and they raise their hand and say that. But I actually believe almost everyone in the world is neurodivergent in some way or the other. Because it's not a you are or you're not. There's a big, huge scale here. And there's a big, huge scale with a lot of like matrices. So, you know, you think about it like a graph or, you know, giant Excel spreadsheet, you'll put like ADHD, depression, dyslexia on the down columns. Then across the board, you, you know, you'd say like low impact, medium impact, high impact, super high impact. And where you are on that cell sheet, I believe that, you know, the 8 billion people we share this planet with are probably going to be on that sheet somewhere. Um, and we just don't, we don't do these tests because again, it's a thing we don't talk about. So like pretty much any one of us can tell you what our blood pressure is because we've had to take it like a hundred times for random reasons. Almost no one can tell you how they're neurodivergent because it's not a thing we test for as a mandatory thing that you do. So just like we need to remove the stigma, we remove the stigma of just because you have high blood pressure doesn't mean you can't have a high stress job, right? That used to be an issue once upon a time. Like, oh, what if they drop dead? Well, they probably won't. You take your pills, you, you know, you go for a walk every day, you, you manage it. Um, it. We have to do the same thing with mental health and neurodiversity as a whole, which is first we have to acknowledge that this is real and it's a thing and it's not made up in our head. Just because there's no test to measure it does not mean it doesn't exist. There's no test to measure blood pressure until there was a test. Yeah. It's also yeah. invisible. You can't see it. You can't see what high blood pressure looks like. Um, and I think people think of health as a thing you can see. We're like, oh, you don't look sick. Like, what is sick first? And second, you can't tell that with most sicknesses. So I've been fascinated by this concept of neurodiversity because I do believe that we all are on the scale, but I also believe that it's a superpower. Um, and I think that is where my philosophy differs than a lot of other people, because I'm not always like, well, how do we cover it up? Or how do you deal with it? Or how do you cope with it as this horrible virus that's infected us, right? It's actually a superpower because being neurodivergent means your brain may not work fully in one way, but it overfunctions in some other way. And that overfunctions is what gives us the superpowers that helps us do our work in very different ways than many people around us. And we're able to really, you know, stand out and be different and be able to contribute back to whatever industry we're in, in a different and unique and special sort of way. Sorry about the rant. I will talk about this. No, I, I, what I think is really interesting is I read a study where they said that the, um, the 
vast majority of entrepreneurs are actually diagnosed or undiagnosed with ADHD and that people with ADHD or any kind of attention uh, or hyperactivity uh, disorder, as they frame it, yeah. makes them ideally suited to that type of environment or that type of role. Um, whereas when I was a kid, like I'm getting on a bit now, when I was a kid, if you had ADHD, you were put in the special classes and yeah. you were given like no no attention, no education whatsoever. And like you say, it's actually it's a superpower. You just yeah. don't fit into that schooling system that's designed to get you into a job in a bank or a factory or whatever. And, you know, but those the roles that are available to people now are so different and divergent. Um, yeah. So, Mike, anything else that you would add to that? No, I, I mean, I, I just absolutely love the, that whole thing of it's your superpower and the, the overcompensation because it, 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 it's just so true. You see it that people who might sit more on the like the autistic spectrum, they have a very, I, I mean, they're, they're so often they're very gifted in like mathematics in concepts way beyond anything I could learn right. um, or understand um, mm. and just that flipping on its head that it's not something to be ashamed of it's something to use mm -hmm. as your superpower and I think that's it I mean it's the, the reason we're doing this podcast is to break down stigmas and I just absolutely love that that idea that you can tell people no no it's not a disorder there's a superpower there yeah. use it I, I love it i love it it's very much a physical superpower right like say i was born with a freakishly high lung capacity i'm not um but if i was and i happen to be you know a undersea diver people would be like you're the best undersea diver on the planet thank god you got into undersea diving you should do this for a living yes i should and i should do this and i should be celebrated Likewise, I think the reason we have people have trouble relating to neurodivergent, neurodivergence, neurodiversity, whatever, um, is that people are often the wrong jobs, right? Uh, where we take someone who say has ADHD. So one of the superpowers I've learned of ADHD is hyperfocus, the ability to when you like something and when you're into something, you're hyperfocused. Nothing can pull you away. It is your thing. You are going to do it, and you're going to do the heck out of it until it's done. That is magical, right? Yeah. But often we have ADHD people working in environments that are not set up for them, where it might be open space, it might be constant interruptions, it might be working on menial tasks that don't stimulate their brain. It might be a lot of things that are not working specifically for them, but often they find their place working on you know, a deep creative task, like solve this problem, debug this thing, sort out the spreadsheet, whatever it is. And they're able to hyperfocus for hours and hours and hours to solve that issue. So there's the superpower. The downfall, of course, of every superpower is that often people don't self-care and self-check. So then they're not able to say, I need to stop. I need to take a nap. I need to you know, get some food. I need to get some water, et cetera, et cetera. But with every neurodiversity, there is the superpower. And I think it's so important on us as leaders us as educators, us as employers, to make sure people are getting the right jobs that take full advantage of, not take advantage, but fully utilize their superpowers. Like um, I have a, we've got an MVP named Danny, right? 
and he's fantastic. Like he's, I've heard him speak many times and he's so talented at his work and such a particular speaker. He can find things in patterns of data that I will never find ever. He's able to see things just in, oh, you know, these patterns of numbers, there's one thing off about them. I'm like, they all look the same to me, right? Some numbers in a spreadsheet as a dyslexic person, numbers in a spreadsheet is the worst thing you can give me. Um, he's like oh no this one's off because blah blah on this date look correlation i'm like i have no idea what you're saying dude um so <laughs> me getting a data scientist job would be a dumb idea because <laughs> i'm dyslexic me doing a data scientist job i'd be fired in a week they're like how have you messed up every number completely so that would be stupid versus me swapping places with denny he might be in a engineering for windows job where he's constantly interrupted every two seconds us swapping jobs we would both win because he would love this getting lost in patterns of data. I would love this getting interrupted constantly about Windows issues, right? So it's just a matter of people finding the right job and the f right tribe and the f right place in the world. And I'm so grateful for the tech industry and may it might just be our corner of the tech industry where we are willing to talk about this and we are willing to adjust our work style and our workplaces to account for these different ways that our brains work. And I actually think we're just at the beginning, right? We're just at stage zero yeah. of where we can be and where we can go. And I actually believe the pandemic is going to lead to some very, very different work styles and workplaces because it has worked for some people. It has not worked for some people. But I think we're starting to learn, like, get rid of these notions that everyone's got to be in an office in an open space all between the hours of eight and five. So that notion is now gone. Like, I think we've proven that ain't happening. Um, but what does work for different mental uh, learning styles and different work styles? For me specifically, I can't work by myself in my house for the rest of my life. It just, it does not help me. And it actually keeps me from being able to do a lot of the things that I'm used to doing, mainly because I'm not able to rely on the superpowers of others to be here with me in a room. Versus people who may suffer from de depression I, I know someone very close to me who suffers from depression. This has been great for him because on, say, the bad days, the days he wakes up and he's not quite ready, it's okay, right? He can He's able to take the time he needs to go do the, you know, self-care, the meditation, the breathing, the walk around the block, the fresh air, you know, just having depression is such a heavy burden. And, you know, Mike, you know this. Yeah. It's like yeah. some days you're like, it's exhausting to get out of bed. It's just like too much. And having this kind of at home, work at home lifestyle works pretty well in those cases where you're not expected to, you know, be in front of a customer at 8 a.m. tomorrow, smiling um, and being <laughs> on. And you kind of have to like kill off your soul to be able to do this. And it takes every ounce of effort. So I actually think pandemic is going to lead to some very interesting conversations. But we are at like step zero of this industry to first understand, to accept, and three, then do something about it. And I, and I think the beauty of being in the tech industry is we've got the power to set things up to help people That's right. drive things forward in, in other industries. As employers or colleagues or friends, you know, what can we be looking out for? What can we do to help people discover their own superpower and their own neurodiversity and help them to make sure they're in the, the right job? So I believe that vulnerability leads to vulnerability, where 
when I am very open about, so I don't actually like talking about my dyslexia. I feel like a loser when I talk about it, like, to be honest, um, because I only found out three years ago. I've had it forever. So in the U.S., we have this practice of you go around the room, you read out loud when you're a kid in books. So everyone reads like the next paragraph. That was the most terrifying day in the world. I just thought I was illiterate. And it was weird because I was not illiterate at home, but I was illiterate in front of a room full of people. So I would always stumble on the words. I'd mix them up. I wouldn't see the right thing. So I used to take the book home the previous night and figure out where in the seating chart I was and which chap paragraph I'd be at. Now, this screwed up really bad if someone was absent or read too much or, you know, all of that. But I would actually go home and practice my section over and over and over again so I didn't look stupid. And I relate that to so many neurodivergent friends because I can think of so many people who overfunction so people won't think they're stupid, right? And it's one of our biggest fears. It's one of our neurodivergent people, which is all of us, we imposter because we think maybe I'm not cut out for this industry. No, the industry, it's not us. It's not the human. We don't fix the human. We fix the environment, yes. right? That, that's what we do. I read this great quote on the weekend. If a plant is not thriving, you don't fix the plant, you fix the environment. Um, why are we not doing that for humans? Are we less important than plants? No, we're not. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've started doing is talking about my dyslexia because like you, Mike, and you, Allison, I get, then I start getting a million DMs from people saying, that's so brave. I'm so glad you talk about this. Thank you. This is me too. This is my kid. This is me, my kid, my spouse, my good friend, my partner. Um, what can I do? So I've started writing like how I hack my dyslexia articles. They're not good. My hacks are not like, you know, they're not official. It's not like the Dyslexia Foundation is like, yeah, Donna, those are great hacks. <laughs> well, it works for me. <laughs> Right? Mine is like, okay, turn on Immersive Reader in OneNote, uh, put your emails in there, have them read to you, uh, have Edge Browser read stuff to you, have other people read stuff to you. And what's been interesting is then people open up to me. They're like, oh, you know, I have blah, blah, and what do you think I should do? I'm like, oh, I don't know, but let's try A, B, and C. But I, I think it's important to be vulnerable and open about our own which you both are being, which is great. And then it's important to also have an arsenal of stories of other people's and the coping mechanism we use to create the best environment for the person. So um, this is why I love going around talking to people who have ADHD or depression or anxiety or on the autism scale, because I need to know, I need more information. Right. Just like this is what what works for me. I need a data job. I need a numbers job. I need a quiet environment. I need a noisy environment. I need to work on things that stimulate this part of my brain alongside with everything else we do. Um, so I think it's important for us first to share to have an arsenal of stories and three have just keep an arsenal of here's how we have fixed the environment in the past and it has worked. But honestly, the most important thing we can be doing is what you're doing, which is talk about it vocally, loudly, in front of lots of people until it becomes normalized. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's it's one of those things that the more you understand about the different yeah. neurodiversities that are out there and the way that people react, yeah. the more you're able to build much better, more efficient teams 
That's right. And speaking from a community perspective, yeah. we can build a much more welcoming and more powerful global community of of people working together to deliver things and to help out. And yeah, it uh, it's that whole understanding, educating and learning process that's out there. Um, yeah, I think that I think that is massively important, massively important. I love what Alison said about it's our job in tech to be good at this because we build the tools by which everyone else works. So it's not just the tools as in I made teams, but in terms of teams, you know, ADHD mode, what does that look like? Um, I love focus mode and word because when I'm like one crazy moods where I'm like, I can't focus, this is not working. Focus mode, it's the only thing that saves me. Shut it all down, focus mode, write my document, be done. But we made that because somebody on the word team has ADHD, right? <laughs> That's why. Um, we didn't make that because we didn't know what that was. <laughs> so it's so important to have people in tech who are making tech be neurodivergent acknowledge their neurodivergent, use it to build better products. Because there's no way that I, Donna, I'm going to build a product for people on the autism spectrum by myself. That is dumb. That is a stupid idea. I would go hire a lot of autistic people across a variety of backgrounds and say, we are together going to build something. And it's going to help us all work better. And once we do that, then we can roll it out to more people. We have to co-create and that's why it is so important that the tech industry is more diverse than any other industry on the planet because we are making the tools by which lawyers and doctors and accountants and bankers and business people and governments do their business and those industry by nature are a little more traditional a little more conservative because they're older right they've been around for 100 years our industry hasn't we haven't been around for 100 years therefore we can't change things um, and we can change the way people do business and the way people do interact with colleagues. And I believe we can be role models for how all of the other industries work just by nature of the tools we build and how we go about our work. Yeah, like I, th I think the accessibility checker tools that you get in, in, uh, in Microsoft are just like those have been, a they were a real eye opener and I only really saw those like a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it was a real eye, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate that I don't have any um, yeah. different different abilities in terms of colour blindness or anything like that. So I've no appreciation what it's like trying yeah. to use an app if I'm blind or vision impaired or deaf or any of those things. So using those accessibility checkers, when I saw Chris do a demo, Chris Huntingford do a demo on it, I was like, yes, of course, we should be thinking about this. And okay. like, for example, now every time if I post a picture on Twitter or a GIF or something, I always put like the text description on so that, yeah. you know, and stuff like that, which I, I never did a year ago because I wasn't, it just never dawned on me. And okay. so, you know, you know, talking about this stuff, raising awareness, making, making it okay for people to say, look, do you know what? I struggle with that. I'm great at this. But yes. like, you, you know, you're getting me to do this and I'm just not great at it. So let's just have a conversation around that. You know, I think that's yeah. one of the most valuable things we can do. For sure. It's the only way to normalize. It's each of us. Each of us have to normalize. And those of us who are in visible positions, it is our responsibility to normalize. Um, I consider it to be 
just irresponsible if a leader, whether they are neurodivergent or not, first of all, find out if you are. Second of all, um, be very open that we, we welcome neurodivergent people on our team. And here's why. Not just, oh, we welcome neurodivergent on our team because it's a good thing to do. That's dumb. No shit, it's a good thing to do. But state the business case, right? Because yep. I'm far more likely to go apply for a job if the leaders first. Okay, there's three kinds of leaders. One who may not say anything at all. Okay, there's four kinds of people. There's a bad leader who's like, we don't want neurodivergent people. We want neurotypical because I don't know how to deal with it. Forget anything else because I'm too lazy to do the work. That kind of leader do not work for that leader because that person is going to have to learn and grow and you don't really feel like dealing with them. Second, leader who says nothing at all, they act like, you know, let's not talk about it, but I won't, you know, I'm not going to discriminate, but I'm not going to support, go out of my way. This is a leader who can be taught. Third kind of leader says, I believe in doing the right thing for the world, so I want to hire all kinds of people. I want to hire neurodivergent people, so let's be open to that. The fourth kind of leader says, I want neurodivergent people on my team because we're going to build better products and that leads to more money and that means better customers and that means more customer satisfaction, which leads to more money. That's a smart leader because they figured out the superpower aspect. You need to, we need to find the leaders who, or be the leaders, who understand the superpower aspect and really hero make those leaders and showcase how, wow, their teams are doing great. Their businesses are doing great. People want to work with them more. And they're able to go tap into the entire audience of the of the world who wants to use tech rather than leaving out like one fifth or one fourth or whatever it happens to be. So I, I think that's the way to normalize, you know, like do it, go find people who are doing it, celebrate the heck out of the people who are doing it. Brilliant. And you know what? I think that is a really good point to finish this episode of the podcast because we're out of time for episode this episode donna it has been so brilliant to have you on the show and to share on this topic um as i said right at the beginning i think everything that we're going to be talking about with future episodes mm -hmm. so much of it fits into the neurodiversity and if people can get that into their thinking and start thinking in that way it's going to help make the changes that we need to see to become a more welcoming to become a more accepting to become a more effective and efficient organization company community world um it, it, it's something yeah brilliant so donna thank you so much for your time it has been absolutely fantastic and uh, yeah thank you very much thanks thank for laying the foundation i appreciate Always. that bye bye thanks for listening to the things we don't talk about with allison mulligan and mike hartley